Good morning. Grace and peace to you. Jimmy, thank you for the songs. Good to see every one of you, and thank you for teaching me through the songs. Emmanuel, God with us. Why did it have to be that way? Why was it that way? Why is it that way? don't know if you ever thought about it. Let's turn to Matthew 1, and we want to explore that this morning. We want to see the depth, if you will, of God's love, the depth of his grace, and just try to get a glimpse, perhaps, into the mind of God about why why this happened this way. Matthew 1, to start with verse 20, uh, this is when uh, first Joseph and Mary were betrothed and she was with child and he didn't know what to do about it because he hadn't been with her. It says when he, when he had considered this, because he was thinking about, well, you know, I'll put her away because to be betrothed in those days was pretty much to be married. You were kind of husband and wife, even though you hadn't come together. But it said, when we had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. I think we mentioned this last time. Uh, this is arguably the greatest miracle ever that God would become flesh, that God would take on humanity, would empty himself, give up his privileges, as we read in Philippians, and become one of us. I, in my opinion, it's the greatest miracle ever beyond anything, even beyond the resurrection. Because God created life and he can make life, but here God becomes human. God becomes one of his creation. Just an incredible thing to consider. We have two names mentioned in the passage. First the one is Jesus, well, the one name we use the most for our Lord and Savior. In the Hebrew, Yeshua, which means Yahweh saves. And as we see, he was to come and to save his people from their sins, to be a savior. And he was to save the Jewish race, and of course, he also came to save the Gentiles as well. And then the name Emmanuel is mentioned, a name which is used very little. And it means, as it says, God with us. So Jesus tells us the purpose of the Son of God, the one to be born of Mary. But Emmanuel tells us how 
he was to become the savior of the world by becoming one of us. And as we know, he will experience the entire gamut of life. Even as the angel spoke with Joseph, Jesus was in Mary's womb. And as you consider that, this should tell us, us, and all those out there who argue that, first of all, at that stage of life, it's not life. And secondly, now the new argument is it's not a person yet, that neither one of those arguments are valid. That this was Jesus in Mary's womb at this time. There's no doubt. Was life, was a person. So, he experienced that. He, he was born. He, he was an infant. He was a child. He grew into adulthood. He was a teenager. We don't hear much about that in the scripture about those days. A little glimpse of, his, of him at age 12, but he went through it all. And it had to be. God wanted it to be that way. He made it that way. And so that's, that's our thoughts this morning. And so let's go to Romans 2. To, to consider this, we have to consider our predicament as a human race. Because Jesus or Emmanuel came to save us. So what was that all about? While we were in a predicament, a problem, a quandary we could not get out of. Okay? And uh, after the Hebrews were called through Abraham and they became a people and uh, people called then out of Egypt with Moses, received a covenant on Mount Sinai, there were basically two groups of people on earth. There were the Jews or the Hebrews who were in covenant with God and then there was everybody else. And they are labeled Gentiles or the nations as you read often in the Old Testament. And in, in God's eyes, that's all there was. The Hebrews, the Jews, and everybody else. The Gentiles never were in covenant with God. They did not receive the law of Moses at Mount Sinai. That was between God and the Jews. God and the Hebrews. And so that brings us to Romans. We're going to see a couple passages here in Romans. Romans 2, verse 12. And, you know... We're really tightening this up here, if you will. You really need to read about the first five chapters in Romans to get the full picture. But Paul says, for all who have sinned, there's the problem, sin. We've disobeyed God. All who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. Those are the Gentiles. They did not have the law, yet they still sinned. Okay? Still didn't do what was right in God's eyes. So they would perish, they would die without the law. And all that have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. Okay, so now we think, well, maybe that gives the Jews an advantage because they had the law and they knew what God's requirements were, what was right in God's eyes. So 
hey, they, can, they know that, so they, maybe they can keep the law, and they can be approved by God. They can be declared righteous. 13 says, For it's not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. Okay? Not just to hear it. Sometimes we think, you know, I know what God says, but you've got to do it. Okay? You've got to do it. All right, so we have this delineation, but the point is that there is going to be a judgment. Those who have sinned without law, they'll perish. Those who have sinned under the law, they're going to be judged. But there's that little, you know, word there that's contained in the word sin, the sin. Okay, that's the problem. And it's the word that today, you know, the world doesn't want, well, the world never wanted to hear the word sin, sin against God, but even more so, it seems like today, nobody wants to hear the word sin. I don't want to hear the word sin. It's a nasty word. But we have to hear it because it's part of our lives. It's part of us. We have to deal with it. Jesus came to deal with it. It's why he came. He will save his people from their sin. So we, we have to face up to that, and we have to understand What's going on, and we have to understand about sin in our own lives, but we don't want to go too far afoot there. All right, let's go to Romans 3 now, thinking about the predicament of the Jew and the Gentile. Paul kind of sums it up at this point, Romans 3, 9. What then? Are we better than they, meaning Jews? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks, Gentiles, sometimes they're called Greeks, are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. And then to verse 23, which is often quoted, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So this is a lot of what Paul is doing here in the first two or three chapters of Romans is showing that all mankind, whether Jew or Gentile, are guilty before God, whether they had the law or not. All were guilty. So neither group could stand before God. Neither group was righteous in their own right. All had sinned. Even the Jew who had the law of God to guide him could not keep that law because of our own sinfulness. We had the knowledge of sin and we were weak through the flesh. We can look at other concepts given in scripture as to why we can't do that. So I think that's a, even a special warning to us today who have the word of God and have in particular the New Testament. We have it. Let's strive to keep it. Let's strive to do what God says, but let's understand we are not going to keep it without sinning. That that's not possible. I want to do my best. I want to strive, but... Thanks be to God for the blood of Christ that cleanses me when I fail. When I fail. And I know I fail a lot when it comes to doing what's right. Maybe not so much in transgressing and doing something that is wrong, but in doing something that's right. The depth of my love sometimes is not there. My kindness sometimes is not there. Sometimes I'm reluctant to forgive. Sometimes I prejudge. Anybody else in that boat? 
Yeah, th those are the places where we kind of overlook and we forget. You know, so I didn't murder anybody. I didn't lie this week, you know, and so forth. I, I wasn't chasing women. Good for you. But what about the rest of them? What about all the positive things we're supposed to be focusing on and doing? Anyway, I don't want to belabor that point, but we needed someone to save us, Jew and Gentile. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So why, why does God have to send his son? Why does Jesus have to be born and become one of us? You know, i got a couple of thoughts here. You know, why doesn't God, maybe you ever thought about this, provide salvation in another way? Okay? Uh, why didn't he make the requirements less stringent? Maybe he could just lower the bar, you know, and, and say, okay, everybody can sin a hundred times. Okay? Not the big sins, you know, like we say, murder and kidnapping and all that, but the other sins, you know, little white lies and so forth. Why didn't he just say, well, you can, you can have a hundred? How long do you think it would take us to chip away at that hundred? You know? Because we'd say, oh, I got a hundred. You know, I, I'll just use a couple of those this week. Wouldn't, wouldn't take long and that, that, that uh, amount would be re reduced to zero and we'd be in the same predicament. Well, how about this one? You, those of you who can remember way back to school, okay, and maybe some of you have been in college, I don't know, if maybe not in high school, grading on the curve, okay, maybe God should just grade on the curve, and he'll save the best 10%, you know, or the best 25%. You know, everybody fails, but then you just push, push everybody up to the top and say, okay, we'll take the, we'll take the top 25%, and they'll be saved. Well, he didn't do it that way. And we're going we're gonna to see in a minute why he can't do that. And then why, why don't he just absolve everybody? He's going to send his son, and you just, just give a blanket, everybody's free. And some people still think that today. God's going to save everybody. You see, there's one thing stands in the way, and that's God's word. His command to us. We must keep his word. And the penalty for disobedience is death. It goes clear back to Adam and Eve in the garden. Here's a tree you can eat of, the tree of life. Here's a tree you should not eat of, tree of knowledge of good and evil. Eat of this tree, you'll surely die. He gave us freedom of choice. He wanted to have people that would choose him and choose to serve him. Well, you know what happened? They ate of the wrong tree, and they brought death into the world. Cain slew his brother not too long after that. Noah's generation, the people were so wicked, what did God have to do? He killed everybody, kind of started over with Noah and his family. And on and on it goes through Scripture. No one is able to keep the word of God without sinning. We saw I had a lesson here, what, about a month ago, right? Nobody's perfect. Remember we looked at Abraham and Moses and David. Nobody's perfect. We all have the same problem. 
But you see, let's go to Ephesians 3. This was God's plan. And this is something we often miss. That is like, okay, you know, in the garden, a man sinned, and God says, okay, I've got to do something now so I can save my creation. Well, that's not true, because God already had it planned out. God knew what was going to happen. It was a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Here in Ephesians 3.9, Paul's talking about the gospel. He's a minister of the Gentiles, bring the unfathomable riches of Christ, and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages have been hidden in God who created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see? It was always his, it was his eternal purpose, his eternal plan to demonstrate his great love and grace to the powers that be, the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, and to grant eternal life, which only God had, to grant eternal life to his creation, to show his great love, his grace, his generosity, his kindness, whatever word, his mercy, whatever word you want to use. This was God's plan. A plan that we might say he worked to perfection and demonstrated through Jesus on the cross the, the absolute wickedness of sin, but then the gloriousness of his love in letting his son die so that we might live. This was his eternal purpose. And so we're all here as, as a result of the eternal purpose of God in Christ Jesus. Basking in his glory, in his love. So why Emmanuel? We keep asking that question. It's a good question to ask. Go to Hebrews 2. As we kind of look at how this worked. Since it was man who had sinned against God, all right, and as we've seen, everybody had sinned. All of sin falls short of the glory of God. Since it was man who had sinned against God, disobeyed God's word, it had to be a man to give him perfect obedience. Somebody had to do that. And that was Emmanuel. Nobody else could do that. Hebrews 2.9. We, well, we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Okay. We might say that's a sacrificial death, is the propitiation for our sins. But on the other hand, it also could be the death that was allotted to all people because he took our sins with him on the tree, didn't he? Peter says he bore our sins in his own body. And in that regard, we see him 
dying for us. Not for his own sins, but for our sins. Down to verse 14 there. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, that's us, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. You see, God can't die, right? So in order to face off with Satan and overcome death, he had to do that by living the perfect life so he could be resurrected from the dead. He had to take on flesh and blood to experience death. Otherwise, he could never die. You see God's wisdom, what he's doing, as he, un as he un unravels all of this. Death can only be overcome through a sinless life, a sinless human being. And Jesus was that Lamb of God without blemish. Let's turn over to Hebrews 10, verse 3. Since Emmanuel was without sin, he could become the propitiation, the sacrifice for our sins. It was acceptable to God. This reading here, Hebrews 10, 3 to 10. Almost every Sunday at the, at the Lord's table, I think about part of this reading. And maybe you will too after this lesson. And as we go through it, you'll, you'll see why. The Hebrew writers, you know, doing the comparison between what was done under the law of Moses and then Jesus brought in the new covenant and offered himself as a sacrifice. And he says, but in those sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins year by year or every year. And that's happened on the Day of Atonement. And they remembered all their sins. People... Sometimes people say they were rolled forward, but I don't know that that's a good term, but they were just remembered, okay? Every year, the, all sins were remembered because, in verse 4, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Under the law of Moses, you know, that was, that was an atonement. That was a covering for a year, but then the next year, everything was remembered again, and they had to go through the ritual again for the sins to be covered. That's what atonement means, a covering. You see, the blood of bulls and goats can't take away the sin of mankind because blood, the bulls and goats are not on the same level as we are. They're not humans. They're beneath us. And so their blood can never remove our sins. We're made in the image of God. They are not. And so something better had to come, something greater. Verse 5, therefore when he comes into the world, and most of this next section here, these next three verses are from Psalm 40, I believe. He says, sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have taken no pleasure. All right, now let's understand what he's talking about here. He's not saying that these people should not have offered the sacrifices that were prescribed. Okay, 
what he's saying is, I wish you didn't have to offer those sacrifices, that you didn't sin, so that the sacrifices would have to be offered. And that became something, I think, that the Jew just let happen. Well, we sin, you know, well, we'll offer the sacrifice. Like we do sometimes today. Well, it said just confess your sins and you'll be forgiven. And we don't really put forth the devotion and the effort not to sin. Because, oh, God will forgive me. Well, yes, he will, but that's not the point. The point is he wants you to live a righteous life. And that's what he's saying here. It's really not that I wanted sacrifices. I gave them to you because there's going to be a need for them. But what I wanted, you know, a body you prepared for me. This is the Messiah looking down through time. A body you prepared for me. Verse 7, I said, Behold, I have come to live in that body. In the scroll of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. What is it? I've already alluded to it. You might have thought of it. Or what is it that had never been given to God until Christ came? Never. Perfect obedience. No one had ever kept God's will perfectly. This is what he wanted. This is what this is about. You prepared me a body. I've come to do your will, O God, to live a perfect, righteous life. You know, the body we talk about here, Jesus said this body, in the New American Standard, said this body is for you. When I think about this, I think about the fact that he came, that he lived in a body, that just just that he died in a body, but he came and he lived in a body and lived a sinless life and gave God perfect obedience. That was part of the whole effort of Christ. If he hadn't done that, his sacrifice on the cross wouldn't have been any good either. It would have been a waste. But it's because he did the will of God without sin that he could be offered up as a sacrifice. Verse 8. After saying above, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have not desired nor have taken pleasure in them which are offered according to the law. Again, yeah, they were given as because we needed them, but that isn't really what God wanted. He wanted obedience and righteous living. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second covenant, the one in which we can truly be forgiven of sin because of the blood of Christ, our brother in the flesh, and receive his righteousness, his perfection before God. By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Perfect obedience, a new covenant, genuine forgiveness by the blood of Christ, eternal life, life from God, life with God. That's why Emmanuel, he had to come and be one of us, to be our brother, our savior, the one who 
the second, the last Adam, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, the last Adam raised from the dead. And we, uh, as I've said before, we go to we go to heaven on his coattails. Yes, we do, because of what he did. And we're thankful for God for his grace that he did it that way. And now we can see the heart of God, the mercy of God, the goodness of God, the love of God as he did it this way. You know, that eternal life is life with God. This is what he wants. He wants us to be with him like it was in the beginning when he was with Adam and Eve in the garden before they sinned. Let's close out in Hebrews 7. Maybe turn back one page there in your testament. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest. You know, he becomes the high priest now. The law of Moses is out of the way. He's now a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners and exalted above the heaven, who does not need daily, like those high priests under the law of Moses, to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. Praise be to God for his grace. Isaiah 53, 6, The Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. And he took it for us. But it couldn't have happened unless he'd have been with us and become one of us. Emmanuel. God with us, but it also means that he wants us to be with him. The lesson is yours. I pray it's been helpful. I encourage you to take the scriptures and look them over again. To let this sink in, this, this glory of God in doing, doing all of this and planning this eternal purpose to make a people that he wanted to be for himself for all eternity. And he went to great lengths through his son to make that possible. People who chose him. As we close out, we, as always, we offer an invitation if anyone is so moved by the word of God today and this great gift of Emmanuel, the Savior, Jesus Christ. If you want to obey the gospel, we can help you do that. If you need prayer for any reason, we can help you do that. Maybe to rededicate your life. Maybe you're struggling with sin right now. Maybe there's something else going on in your life, as I've said before. Some of these things you don't want to announce, but you can just come and say, I need prayer. That's fine. We can pray with you. Or if you don't feel comfortable coming up, you can see us on the way out, or Mike or Mike or Don or Rick. And we can help you in your spiritual journey. So our brother Jim leads us. If you feel inclined right now, please come while we stand and sing.